Alright, a'udhu billahi min shaitanir rajeem, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, rabbi shahi sadri wa yasilli amri, wa ahlu luqtatan min isani fil qawli. Salam everybody, how are you? Hope you're doing well. Um, as I just introduced myself, I'll just reintroduce and maybe start by talking about how we're going to be doing this stuff together once a month. My name is Shadi, um, Shadi Jabadi. I, hi. Uh, <laughs> once a month, inshallah, I was invited to come talk to you guys, um, and I'm really excited to do so. And like I mentioned before, all I'm going to be trying to do with you, inshallah, is explore and reflect the Quran with you through things that I just thought were really beneficial and impactful to my Iman, to my life, and to share it with you all. Uh, I can't promise it's gonna follow like a certain you know, theme every single month. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I do think it's something beneficial. There are times when you're studying Quran and using Quran to understand life, where you learn something that you're like, every Muslim should know this. That, that at least for me, that's the kind of thoughts that come in my head. So I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to share with you some things that gave me that knee-jerk reaction of like, I wish everyone knew this. And that's what I hope to share with you, inshallah. Today, um, we're going to be starting with something a little bit easy because it follows a story. Like I mentioned before, sometimes we're going to be talking about an entire surah together. And those are going to be more in depth, uh, potentially. Sometimes we'll be talking about like just one ayah. Next month, I'm really excited for next month, we'll be talking about a single word and talking about actually historically and the history of psychology and how that word connects to a word in Quran. I'm really excited for next month. This month though, I wanted to start with something a little bit more kind of easy to digest. And we're going to be talking about a passage a few passages about the story of the life of Musa Not the whole thing. I don't want to go from birth to life, but just one really extremely messy moment and how that moment affected him for the next stage of his entire life. A really complicated, sticky situation that you know he kind of caused himself right, that he found himself in and how that kind of paved the way to him becoming a prophet 10 years later and I think there's a lot of lessons to go through. So what I'm going to be doing, excuse me, what I'm going to be doing is talking ayah by ayah, word by word. We're going to break. Sometimes I'm going to stop at a word and talk about why it's impactful and why uh, it's pertinent to our lives. And we're going to move on. And at any point, since we're kind of a small crowd, alhamdulillah, at any point, if you like confused about a word, raise your hand and let me know and we can go into it more in depth. But try to pay attention, um, not even necessarily to the Arabic or anything like that. Pay attention and try to think of your own life when I'm, when I'm speaking through this. I was talking to my wife about this passage and at one point she's like, yeah, but he, and I was explaining a lesson that we learned from this. And at one point she's like, yeah, but he's a prophet. So how can I take the same lesson that he has? And this I think is a really, it's, it's a terrible thing that we've kind of adopted for ourselves. When Allah tells a story, be it about a prophet or about a regular man or a regular person, that is a lesson for us that is not just being told to us for religious storytelling. That's not just being told to us for a historical account. That story is being told to us because there's something for us to take from that story. Does that make sense? So I want you that when we're listening to the story, don't necessarily only think of like, this is a thing that happened to Moses on a This is something that in one way or another probably happened to me or will happen to me. And how do I use this story to understand how I can deal with the situation? And like I said, and I, I love, I have become a meme, by the way, with talking about Musa. I was talking to guys before. I, I can't shut up about Musa Sanem. And one of the reasons though, is because number one, I have personally been extremely impacted by his story. And that's because his story in so many parts is extremely personal, very personal, deep situations. Even his conversation with Allah is like, there are certain points where it makes you laugh. It's like, it's just cute, <laughs> you know? So I want to talk about this and I want you to try to take it in on a personal level and connect it to your own life, inshallah. Okay. I'm going to set the story a little bit or set the stage and then I'm going to just go from the ayat and we'll go from there, inshallah. Okay. By the way, just as a quick note, uh, I know we have like an hour and a half allotted every, every single month. I don't think I'm going to need the hour and a half every single time. If I do, I'll let you know ahead of time. But usually, you know, it'll be, inshallah, I'm going to have a break in between and I'm going to try my best to respect your attention span as much as possible. Okay, so if I put you to sleep, I'm sorry. Okay, so bismillah. So I want to set the stage a little bit. So we're talking about Musa a.s. Musa a.s. had a really weird situation in his life where he was actually, he was born amongst the slave race in Egypt, as we know. He was born as a Jew, as a Beni Israeli man, young man in Egypt at the time where they were being persecuted. Yeah. The weird thing about his situation was he was not raised in the slums and in the ghettos like the other Bene Israeli people were, the other slaves were. 
He was raised where? In the palace. Yeah. Pharaoh pseudo adopted him in the beginning of his life. As the story goes, he was maybe put in the river. Pharaoh actually adopted him. And Allah actually, we put a special love in Pharaoh's heart for this baby, So he had a really weird situation where his skin looked like everyone else in the slums, but he was being raised where? As a prince, basically in the palace, getting the highest education, eating the best food, enjoying the best security. And he was living it up. Basically, I mean, if it were anyone else, it would, he would have been living it up. But he noticed this privilege that he had I'll use the word privilege. He did. Have, he was a very pri- privileged man growing up at ASNM. And it, the thing is though about his privilege is very difficult to, to deal with, yes? Imagine, you know, the, the, the master race at the time looks a certain way. They have a different skin tone than the people that are living in ghettoized and that are slaves uh, down, down the river. It's difficult to look like the slave race and live amongst who? the Coptics live amongst the people who were like the aristocrats and live literally in the Pharaoh's palace. That is a difficult reality to live in. Yeah. It's like, I get to enjoy what I enjoy, but the people that look like me don't enjoy any of this stuff. And this is something, this is something that he wrestled with something that was difficult for him to deal with. So what he used to do actually at ASNM was go into the city. And this, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with the ayat actually. And he went into the city at a time where there was no one in it. Uh, if you guys, right, right now, my wife is actually in Umrah as we speak. She just got to Mecca, alhamdulillah, let make that for her. Um, she actually just got to Mecca. And one thing about Mecca, if you guys have ever been to Umrah or Hajj or anything, that it's literally triple digit heat, or even if you've visited Egypt or Philistine or any of these places, everyone falls asleep around what time? Like the whole time, everyone's going to sleep. It's an unbearable heat. No one wants to be awake and out and about and selling their stuff at the hood. Everyone's, everyone's got like this universal understanding of like, I'm going to go take a nap. I'll come when the sun go, comes back down. Yes. So, <laughs> um, she's my niece, by the way. She's very cute. I have a soft spot in my heart for her. Allah. Okay. Anyway, um, so she can run around whenever she wants. <laughs> but anyway, he, uh, you know, at this time where everyone's asleep, he actually decides to go into the city and volunteer and help out people that looked like him. He went into a place where it wasn't normal for like a, like a prince to go into and he would help people of the Bani Israeli race. Yes, you following so far? So we have the ayah. And he entered the city at a time where no one was in it. And as he's walking, I want you to imagine this, as he's walking, he saw in the city while he was walking two men that were fighting. And Allah describes these two men. And this is where I want you to pay attention to the words here because the words are going to change later. He saw two people fighting. This one is from his Shia. This one is from his tribe. And this other man that was fighting was from his enemy's tribe. Shia, by the way, I don't want you to think like Sunni Shia. Shia, you know, this is a word that existed far long before like Shiaism and all that kind of stuff. Shia just means a tribe, basically. It means actually when you are like a political opponent against another political opponent, it's kind of fiery. You are called a Shia. Especially when there's like competition amongst groups, you are are that tribe, you are called a Shia. So you have a person basically that looks like him. This is from his people. It's from his Shia. It's from his group, his tribe. And this one is from Min'aduwihi. And they're fighting each other. Musa salam, probably living with some of the guilt that he lives with, understanding these, my people are persecuted. And he sees the situation. Who is he going to assume is in the wrong here? The one from Min'aduwihi. Yeah. The guy who was from his tribe, from his Shia, the Bani Israeli guy, who was getting beat on and he was apparently losing the fight is calling to Musa Musa, help me out. Festagathahu. Istigatha, by the way, means to ask for rain. It's like Musa was so huge that him punching was like punching down on people. Istigathahu, right? So he's asking Musa for help. Musa So Musa acted on the situation. He walked over to the, the man from his enemy and he punched him. So he ended him. 
which is the in language is interesting by the way fa is used when the, an immediate reaction that's when you use the word fa so as soon as he punched him the dude was dead he was all fired up he walked over act on impulse and he punched the man and i want you to i want to break this apart a little bit what i want to talk to you about today really is about these moments in life that are very where we challenge ourselves these moments in life where we have deep regret over something maybe it could be one major thing you know or maybe it could be like a life full of sin and you're just trying to get your act together and you make these kind of mistakes and musa alayhi salam made a huge mistake here mistake is actually not even a good word a mistake is like when you forget to dot an i or forget to cross a t this is a grave error when we talk about sins this is a man that was killed and he had three interesting reactions to this exact moment because the next part of this 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 passage Musa alayhi salam says three different things i'm not going to tell you the first thing yet the first thing is my favorite thing so i'm going to save that for a little bit later okay i will tell you thing 2 and 3 that he said the second thing that he said when he's standing over this dead body is rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli my master i've wronged myself so forgive me so right away a couple things he took ownership of the situation number 1 like he didn't blame anything other than himself he said i've wronged myself so forgive me and allah says faghfara lahu and so he forgave him there's a lot to unpack here that i think is absolutely beautiful i'll start with this though uh number 1 he took responsibility but i love here allah's reaction rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli was what musa alayhi salam said Allah responded faghfara lahu before there's even a pause in the ayah Allah says he so he forgave him I talked a little bit about the word fa earlier you hear the faghfara lahu over here there's a couple of ways this could have been said Allah could have said thumma ghafara lahu that would also translate to then he forgave him the difference between fa and thumma and fa and any other word that means then in arabic fa is an immediate reaction thumma means then eventually Allah thought about it and he eventually forgave him. Fa means as soon as Musa alayhi salam finished saying rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi faghfirli Allah said I immediately forgave him. Which this is an extremely important thing for all of us to internalize. We have, you know, when we talk about like us making mistakes and us committing sins, a lot of the times we don't really consider how dark that can really be sometimes. As human beings, we don't just make mistakes, we make grave life altering errors that harm ourselves and other people. that the 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 consequences of which can last not just through our lifetime through the lifetime of multiple people through the lifetime of generations to pass we make grave errors there's even an ayah in quran that talks about people who persecute muslims that like they in surah of surah buruj where these people light a trench on fire and throw muslim bodies and watch them burn But even when talking about those people that do that that disgusting crime even when they do that Allah says and they'll go to hell unless they ask for forgiveness. They will be they will burn just like they made the Muslims burn unless they ask for forgiveness. People can go human beings can be extremely dark animals, extremely dark animals when it comes to the errors that they make that harm other people. But what we're learning here is and you think about the worst crime you can do is killing someone. and we're giving this extreme situation to show that even for the worst thing that you can imagine to do to another human being to do firstly to yourself it's kind of funny that he killed another man but he didn't say rabbi inni qataltu nafsan faghfirli my master i killed someone so forgive me he said i wronged myself so forgive me meaning any harm that befalls someone else first of all who are you harming you're harming yourself but allah is giving us the complete here vindication that no matter what kind of life you're living no matter what action you've taken no matter how wrong you have been for how long you could be living a life of extremely mortal error for 100 years and as soon as you utter the words my master i wrong myself i was wrong i'm sorry forgive me as soon as that happens the slate is wiped clean allah does not discriminate what you did it does not matter what you've done it does not matter how long you've been doing it for all that matters to allah is that you regret the scenario you ask for forgiveness and you you find a way to make yourself better you change yourself as long as that's happening there's no discrimination what do we do to ourselves this is where i really want to talk about today what do we do to ourselves 
when we commit, like if you put yourself in that situation, and I, I really hate doing this actually, but really put yourself in this exact situation. Sometimes like when I remember when I was younger learning how to drive and I'm a very cautious person. I'm really, really caught my family's here. They, I, I'm a very cautious, slow person sometimes. I like to really take my time with stuff. I'm afraid of making errors. I'm afraid of hurting other people. I remember when I first started like driving, my big, and I'm, forgive me for the, the, the put this in your head, but it's important to connect to the story, I think. One, and maybe you can relate to this. One of my biggest fears was like, what if I hit a kid? What if I hit somebody? Like you're driving 20 miles an hour and some crazy situation happens and a kid gets in front of the car. And even if it's no fault of your own, how do you live with that? I see nodding heads, so maybe you thought of, okay, I'm not the only crazy one here. Okay, good. But really, how does one live with that? How does one live with that? That's a difficult thing. And many of us aren't in that situation, but we have other situations that we know we have done, or maybe I'm talking to you and in the future, you'll do something. We don't know who we're going to be in a year from now, five years from now, whatever. We don't know what journey we're going to have to Allah in the next whatever, how many years that we have left. But these scenarios weigh us down. And if we depend on ourselves as our only judges, what happens? Are we good judges to ourselves? We are the absolute sometimes worst judges to ourselves. When, if, we, if I was caught in a situation like this, I personally would probably lock myself in a room and never let myself see the light of day. And I think a lot of us in the room can probably, a lot of human beings are the same way. They'll make a mistake like this. And this is a complicated situation. This is not like a simple Musa went out and murdered someone. He did not mean to do this, obviously. This is a mistake. This is a complicated, it's gonna get more complicated too, by the way. This is a complicated scenario. There's a lot of emotion behind this. There's a lot of history behind this. There's a lot of a young man growing up and seeing his family, his family get persecuted. That's behind it. That's a difficult situation. You can't outright blame him. I can't believe Musa did that. Like actually some people do nowadays. Like how could you believe in a prophet that murdered someone? It's not that simple. And we have situations in our life that are not that simple. And we create grave errors like this one or even worse, Wallah. Maybe sometimes even worse, the way that we harm people. But what Allah is giving us here is a blueprint that sometimes we should not, oh, it's okay, Lada, it's okay, it's okay, all good. The table just fell down. It's okay. How do you think? Um, what was I talking about? Something about a table? Um, sometimes we find ourselves in these, great, these moments of grave, grave error. And Allah is giving us the blueprint here that no matter how deep you fall into something and no matter for how long, that you are literally not even allowed to think that Allah forgive me. There's not something you're even, it's not a conception you should have. I remember one time like back when I was like maybe like 19 or 20 and I was speaking to a kid um, and we were sitting in a conference room and he's like a young man and he was kind of going into the ways of like atheism. And at one point, one of the reasons why he listed that, and this is really important actually, Wallah, one of the reasons why he listed he didn't believe in God anymore was because he felt he did something. He told me the things that he used to do. He felt he did things that were so deplorable and they kind of were deplorable, that were so deplorable that how can someone like me, how can God forgive someone? I think God hates me. I think God now hates me. I don't think I'm deserving of God to believe in him. And I remember crying for this kid. I remember literally like tearing up for him, Allah. But this is like where our, if we depend on ourselves, you know, you know what projection is? Like, you know, like sometimes people are angry and they project angers onto, like he was so angry. It's like, no dude, you were angry. He was fine. You're mad. You know, like people project something about themselves and other people. We sometimes, if human being, if human being is left alone, we project our own inability to forgive onto Allah. Because when we get hurt, we don't want to forgive anybody. We want to hold on to that grudge forever. Sometimes we want to hold on to it literally till we die, right? And we project that same unwillingness to forgive onto God himself. How can Allah forgive me? I should just never talk to anyone again. I should do never, never do anything good again. Why should I go to the masjid? Why should I even pray? And this mentality literally leads people like that young man I mentioned before, literally leads them to stop believing altogether because of the hopelessness that came from something that they did in fact do. But one thing we're learning from this story so far is that we're not even with the deepest, darkest mistakes, we're not allowed to go into hopelessness. It wasn't even a thought. And look at Musa, remember I told you how many things did Musa say when he killed someone? Three things. The second thing was so far, my master, I wronged myself, forgive me. And Allah's response, 
not, not even a second thought. The third thing he said was interesting. Rabbi bima an'amta alayya, my master, because of the favor that you just gave me. Did Allah send revelation saying, I forgive you, by the way? No. It's not like Allah sent down the angel that said, but we forgive you. No. But Musa is now responding after he asked for forgiveness. He's talking to himself, talking to Allah by himself. Because of the favor that you gave me, meaning the favor of forgiveness, meaning he assumed right away, even a man in this scenario assumed right away, Allah did forgive me. The fact that I can open my mouth and ask for it, it means that it's done. I trust Allah that much. Bima an'amta alayya, falan akuna zahiran al-mujrimin. I will never be a backup to criminals ever again. Now, what does this mean? From this, we kind of get a hint in the story. Remember, there were two men that were fighting, yes? Hadam and Shiatihi, Hadam and Aduwihi. This one's from his tribe. The other one's from the enemy tribe, was the Egyptian, the Egyptian man that died. We, he somehow learned that the guy that was from his tribe, somehow he learned he was a criminal. Maybe he pickpocketed the dead body. Maybe he, something became clear to Musa salam, that no, I jumped to a conclusion this dude was wrong. This dude was being arrested for a reason. This dude was a criminal. And I just helped out what? A criminal. So he's telling Allah, because of the favor you gave me, I will never back up criminals ever again. So he admits to the mistake, yes. He asked for forgiveness and he now immediately knows, I know where I went wrong here. I got angry. I let that emotion draw me to a conclusion, to an action that I shouldn't have gone to. And now I know exactly what I did wrong. I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. I told you that Musa said three things. I'm gonna, I didn't tell you the first thing yet, yes? This is, this is beautiful. I love this, so pay attention to this. The first reaction, notice by the way, his first reaction, so far from what I've told you, you can surmise, the first reaction he had was not, forgive me. That was not Musa Yassam's first reaction. His first reaction as he's standing over this dead body is, هَذَا مِنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ by the way, this is kind of sad actually. This, this scene, I want you to imagine the scene. Hadha means this in Arabic. Yeah, like we know, a lot of us know hadha means this. And then in, in Quran, language is very, very, very extremely specific sometimes. Okay? So sometimes Allah uses the word hadha and sometimes He uses the word dalika. Hadha just means this, dalika means that. But you have to pay attention to when they're used because they have like a, this idea of like proximity. So when he's saying shaitan, that means he is standing over this dude's warm body saying this, like he's close to it. He's looking at the result of his action. Yes. And he's saying this is from the work of the devil. That was his first reaction. This is from the work of the devil. He is a clear misguiding enemy. And I love, first of all, let's establish, it's not like he's blaming shaitan because we already know he took responsibility. Yes, that's why it started with number two. But I love that this is the first thing he said. And I want to teach you why, inshallah. It's something that I, I, I got from this. And I want you to reflect on yourself. His first reaction was to admit to himself, this wasn't my idea. This is from the acts of who? Shaitan. Okay, I'll put it in simple language. There is a big difference between saying, I killed someone and saying what? I'm a killer. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between saying, I committed zina and saying, I'm a zani. I'm an adulterer. There's a big difference in between saying, I stole something and saying, I'm a thief. What's the difference between these two things? Exactly. The difference is you're identifying in the second, in the latter one, when you're saying like, I'm a killer, you are now saying this idea is from me. Something in me is a killer. I have no hope. I'm a Zani. I have no hope. Even if you did it a million times, you should never cross this line where you tell yourself, this is for me. I'm a killer. This is for me. I'm this, I'm that. You did something wrong. You aren't the action itself. Does that make sense? So the first reaction Musa had before even asking for their forgiveness was because, you know, when we do this, you know how like um, in, the, on, in a sense of the body psychology, you have fight or flight, like you're in danger and like you, you become an animal basically for a moment, 
where you're like this, like deer in the headlight, like your ears perk up and your heart goes up and you have to make a decision what to do next. There's a similar phenomena spiritually as well that we're learning here. Where spiritually you have a decision where like after a moment like this in your life, if you make the wrong mental decisions, it will lead you to a path of complete darkness and hopelessness. You understand? And Musa saw this path. And before he allowed his mind to tell him, look at you now, look who you are now. You're a killer now. Before he let his mind go to that spot, the first thing he reassured himself, no, this is from the devil. Musa is not this. Musa did this, Musa is not this. You get, you get the difference now? Musa did this, he is not this. He's not this action at ASNM. And we really need to think about this for ourselves. Because a lot of the time what we do is that we'll, you know, we'll build even a bad habit where we do something over years, since we're kids maybe even, or up until late adulthood, up until even like being senile. And we'll do something and we start identifying with that thing. And once you identify with that thing and you tell yourself what your worth is, sometimes wallahi, we're the worst measurements of our own worth. We are the worst measurements of our own value sometimes wallahi. And if you make that mental slip up, then you, are, you have much bigger problems than killing a man, much bigger problems. Because that path leads nothing to the deep dark hole of hopelessness. And that's not something people can survive from spiritually. A lot of the time when we do things like this and we find ourselves in situations like this, we deal with a lot of guilt. And that's one thing, by the way, that this is not going to take away from you is that you're going to have that guilt. But sometimes we make the mistake of saying like, Ya Allah, I don't want to deal with this guilt anymore. Ya Allah, take this away from me. I just don't want it anymore. And you should never make da'at like that. You should be so extremely grateful for that guilt. Your guilt is a sign that you're still alive. Your shame even is a sign that spiritually you're still alive. And I think this is really pertinent in our country, Wallahi. In our country, we're seeing like a really big rise in uh, like psychopathy where people grow up and they become basically psychopaths. And by psychopath, I don't mean like a murderer. That's people think, no, people who don't feel anything for other people. Like this is our society, we relish in this. It builds us to not care for others. It builds us to not feel guilt for anything. And that is a sign of someone walking, but spiritually they're just a dead person walking. They're a hollow shell. You should never be upset that you feel guilty. You should relish in the fact that you feel guilty. You should use that for yourself. That's a sign that the light that Allah put in you is still alive. What you shouldn't do is allow that guilt to define who you are. You should never question, did Allah forgive me? And you should never question to yourself, am I this? You should always separate between the two. Um, Sheikh Afa is probably gonna be mad at me right now. So he's talking about uh, like Tazkiyah, right? He's talking about uh, like Aqidah. Sheikh Afa taught me something five years ago um, that I never forgot, may Allah reward him. And actually it's from Ibn Atta. He actually opened up talking about how he's gonna talk about lessons from Ibn Atta. And this might be the first lesson, so forgive me. But he taught me this like five years ago and I will lie, he never forgot it. I do really highly recommend you go to Sheikh Kifaz because it's very life-changing. The first lesson that he taught from Ibn, a scholar named Ibn Atta from a long time ago, Rahimahullah, that's very pertinent to this. I'll say the Arabic and I'll translate it. Min alamat al-i'timad ala al-amal I'll say it for, and one more time for the Arabic speakers. All this is basically saying, I won't word for word, I'll just give you the meaning of this. A clear sign that you are depending on your own deeds rather than depending on Allah. A clear sign that you're depending on your own deeds and not depending on Allah as you should be is that you start losing hope when you commit errors. I'll, I'll say it one more time. A clear sign that you are depending on your deeds rather than Allah is that you completely lose hope when you start committing mistakes. A lot of the time we fall into this trap that because we are committing errors or not spending our time wisely, that we lose all hope in ourselves. Like Musa Sam has a clear chance to do this right now, actually for himself, right? Has a clear opportunity to do this for himself. And sometimes we, we, you know, we take this mentality in that I've already lost, that I'm already hopeless. And that is a clear indication that instead of relying upon Allah and his mercy, you're relying on who actually? You're relying on yourself in a way. That in a way is like self-worship. 
the members said before a little bit, sometimes you cannot trust yourself with the way you think about yourself. Sometimes even if you are beating yourself up, you need to put that to the side and be like, no, I believe in Allah first. You have to literally do kufr of yourself sometimes and say, no, I believe in Allah first and foremost. You understand? So let's move on. This is, it's interesting. So Musa got this vindication from Allah because you forgave me my master. I'm never going to make this mistake again. He found out that this person now, interestingly enough, is now actually a criminal. This guy from Minshiatihi, this person that looked like him and was from his tribe and that called out to him. By the way, it's, I, I hate this guy, by the way. We're going to talk about him a lot today. I hate this guy. He called out to Musa. Why? Because he looks like me. Hey, big guy. I need your help. So he used a situation he called Musa And then he bounced. The next day, uh, you ever watch like crime documentaries where like you see like the, the, the guy who committed the crime always comes back the next day, you know? So Musa came back the next day and he came back to the scene of the crime. Uh, and he went back to the city and he was scared and he was nervous. And I want you to pay attention to the language. This language is very interesting to me. I actually just saw this last night. I never, I've had the suit on my heart for like years and I never noticed this. I actually, it's very beautiful. Allah is basically saying the guy that he saw yesterday is calling him for help again. He's being beat up by another dude. The same guy from yesterday that was of his people is being beat up by another Egyptian guard and he's calling Musa for help again. Hey man, I need this one too. And he's calling him for help. But listen to what he said. What did he, what did Allah call this guy the day before? What did he call him? He called him Hadha min shiatihi. This guy is from Musa's tribe. This is Musa's people. That's what Allah is saying. This guy is from his people. So Musa sees this man and what does he think? That's my, per- that's my person, that's my tribe. The same like right now, for example, a Palestinians going through like even just this morning without bad news. And in the Muslim community, that hurts us too, right? That's our Shia, that's our people, yes? So the next day though, now that Musa Sam knows this guy is actually a criminal, Musa Sam walks into, 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 the, into town and sees this same dude getting beat up by another guard. And he's also asking for help of Musa Sam again. Allah this time did not say, the guy from his tribe called him for help again. And by the way, language in Quran, I wanna, I, I wanna share concepts with you sometimes, yeah? Language in Quran is very consistent. If Allah calls something, one thing someplace, he will more than likely call that thing by the same name again and again, whether it's in Baqarah or Ali Imran or Fatiha or wherever, you follow me so far? So when that language breaks and that pattern that you expect breaks, you have to pay attention because Allah in his book is extremely specific and it's beautiful how specific he is. Can I give you an example of this specificity a little bit? I want to just take a break from this. It's really interesting. Every prophet in the book that talks to their people with the exception of one prophet, every prophet in the book, when, when Allah quotes them calling to their people, Every prophet says, Ya Qawmi, my nation. Ya Qawmi, Ya Qawmi, Ya Qawmi. Every single prophet with almost no exception, which makes sense. They open up saying, people, listen up. My people, by the way, Ya Qawmi, listen up. Does that make sense? That's normal language. That is the pattern. When a prophet speaks to his people, he will open by saying, Ya Qawmi. Why do they say Ya Qawmi? Is because their father is literally from their tribe. They're not just a random dude that came and started giving them advice. They are a son of the father that's from the tribe, from that nation, yes or no? Like I'm meaning when you say Ya Qawmi, my father's from among you, listen to me. You understand? That's the kind of like the emotional appeal. My father is from you. Listen to me, Ya Qawmi. There's like love in there a little bit. There is one prophet that you will never ever see say the words Ya Qawmi when they're talking to their people. Who is that prophet? which is a riddle now. Why would Allah have the same language? Ya qawmi, ya qawmi, ya qawmi. But then when this one speaks, he never, you'll never see him say ya qawmi. He'll say ya bani Israel, children of Israel. He won't say my people. He'll say children of Israel. Why would Isa of all prophets not say ya qawmi? He has no father. 
Yeah, Qaumi is an appeal to the fatherhood, to, to like your tribe because you're from them as a father. See how specific Allah is? That he said, we'll never say that because he doesn't even have a father. He can't appeal the way that Musa can appeal, the way that Harun can appeal, the way that Muhammad says, he can't appeal that way. So he says, tribe of Israel. See how specific Allah is? You have to pay attention that when Allah breaks a rule, like why did he say it like this? And here Allah broke something because the first time Allah introduced this, this criminal person, he said, this is from Musa's tribe the guy from Musa's tribe. But this time when Musa comes back to the city, going back to our story, he does not say, oh, and then the guy from his tribe called him again. He said, the person who called him for help, called him for help again. So before Allah called him, he's from his tribe, yes? And now, no, he doesn't call him the guy from his tribe, he called him the guy who called for help. Meaning now there's like an emotional detachment from this person. Musa said, now in his, in his heart was like, this is not, no tribe of mine. This guy's not my friend. This guy's not my brother. There's no, we're no longer a Shia. You understand? This dude is not on Musa Alayhi Salaam's side. It's very interesting that the language switched even. So like even the way Musa, you can, in, from the way Allah tells the story, the way Musa sees this person now is very different than the way he saw him the day before. It's no longer like I'm bleeding for you because you're my people. Nah, dude, you're messed up. I know you now. You're no people of mine. So he's calling him for help again. And Musa Alayhi kind of hangs back. He doesn't do anything right away because he learned his lesson the day before that he should not act on impulse, yes? So he hangs back a little bit and the person's calling him for help and calling him for help. Yes, who, by the way, he keeps calling him for help, meaning he didn't act right away. So he keeps calling him and keep, please, 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 it hurts, please, please. And he's calling him. And Musa eventually was like, you know what? Fine, fine. Oh, actually the first thing he said, sorry, forgive me. This is actually really, really important. He's hanging back and he didn't do anything yet. And the guy calls him and Musa says something to him that I really want to talk about in detail, actually. Okay, with this guy. This guy, I hate him. So let's pay attention to him, yeah? He says, Musa says to this man, you are a gawi. You're clearly a gawi. A gawi, by the way, is like, a, if it's one where it's like a con artist, someone that uses your ignorance for their own self gain is called a Rawi. So Musa calls him a Rawi. You used me yesterday, man. You're clearly a Rawi. I'm not falling for this again. So the Rawi calls him and calls him and calls him. And Musa language is, فَلَمَّا أَنْ arada. Then eventually when Musa decided, that he's going to go to the, to the enemy of them both. Notice that guy is still the enemy. And he hold, he wants to, his intention was to go and break up the fight by holding the guard. Musa is huge. Allah compares him to like being tall like a tree. So he would have no problem carrying someone. And the guy would be like a little kid when you hold him and they can't do anything like Lada right now. And they can't do anything. Yeah. That's how, that, that's what he intended to do just to break up the fight. No punching, no killing. I'll break up the fight. I'll see what's going on this time because he learned from the day before. The problem is, and this is where the situation gets extremely messy. He walks over and this guy getting beat, sees him coming over and this guy is in fight or flight. So what's he thinking is happening right now? He's gonna come and get me like he got that guy yesterday. So I wanna break apart this dude's language because unfortunately, we covered in the beginning how Musa he, he kind of, he highlighted his relationship with Allah when he killed the man and now Allah immediately forgave him and Rabbi, because of the favor that you gave me and everything is fine. You will deal with guilt, but in terms of Allah, you are not left guessing in Islam. You are forgiven, you're not allowed to linger. You have to move on with your life. When you commit a sin, you have to move on. You'll feel guilt, you'll feel consequences, but you have to move on. The problem is who doesn't move on? Other people. Other people don't move on as often. So sometimes it is very true that Allah will forgive you, but people do not forgive you. Or Allah will forgive you, but you will still deal with consequences. And I want to go over this right now because this dude who should make you angry, he, when he sees Musa I'm coming by, he's on the floor getting beat. He sees us as an opportunity. And look at his word. His wording is so annoying, subhanAllah. He says, Ya Musa, can we just stop by yeah, Musa? You know when you say yeah and ought to be, like you were, a lot of us are Arabs, when we're, when we're like upstairs and our mom's down, she's like, yeah, Shadi. What does yeah mean? Yeah is what you use in Arabic when someone's far away and you want to call them close. That's what you use yeah for. Otherwise, if like I'm talking to Amir right now, I'll say Amir. 
If Amir is over there, I'd be like, yeah, Amir. Like, yo, Amir, yes? That, that's, that's when you use the word, yeah. Especially in Quran. Like when Allah, for example, says, what's wrong? Okay. When Allah, for example, says, um, like, yeah, ayyuhal mu'minun, believers. It's as if we're far away and he's calling us close. That's what yeah is being used for. So when this man is saying, yeah, is Musa close or far in the situation? Musa's right there. There is no reason to use yeah. Musa's here. So what's he using yeah for? To get Musa's attention? To get everyone else's attention. He's gonna use this as a scenario, he's gonna use this to get out of the scenario that he's in. So he screams, yeah, Musa. And by the way, did anyone know that Musa did what he did yesterday? Nobody knew, but now they have his name. So this dude's just piling the heat off of himself onto Musa alayhi salam. Do you want to kill me like you killed that dude yesterday? Yesterday, yesterday. Everyone falls silent. And everyone now knows two things that a man was, well, they know the man was killed, but they know now that who killed him? Musa killed him. So everyone stops beating on the guy and they're like, that was you? This, let me, I'll go on a little bit because listen to this next part that this guy, so this guy's not done talking yet. This guy just, he like stabbed him. And now here's where he twists the knife on Musa. I want to call out something here, by the way. Who is this dude? This dude's a Muslim. This dude's from Musa's tribe. Sometimes you will find that you will get hurt and people will even use things against you that are even from your own family, from your own community. Like there are people that no longer want to go to the masjid because they feel like they were hurt by people from the masjid. This happens all the time. Some people cut ties with their fathers, with their mothers, because they feel too hurt by something that their mother and father did to them. Yes, this happens all the time. I just want to highlight because some, sometimes our greatest pain that we hold is from the people that we love the most. And I want to highlight here that this is not just a random dude using Musa. This is Musa's people. This is the people that he loved and trusted. Yes, it's his community is using him now. Look what he says next. And like the way he says it, I want to break down with you. In turidu illa antakuna jabbaron fil art. You want nothing except to be a bully and oppressor in the land. All you want is to be a jabbar. Jabbar is like, like you're a bully, like you want to use your power against other people. It's a jabbar, right? And someone who does so actively in, in extreme ways. That's all you want, Musa. And you don't want to be of the people that do right thing. You're not someone who wants to make things right. You're not a muslih. A muslih is someone who corrects the situation. Much like Musa goes to the city to try to correct the situation and to help people out. You don't want to help people. You just want to be a bully. That's all you want to be. The language here, by the way, is really telling. There are many ways to negate in Arabic. And these two are the most extreme ways you can negate these things. Meaning he's not just saying, you don't want to help, you want to be a bully. He's saying, I know for a fact, you want nothing else than to be a bully. You want nothing else than to abuse me right now. And you are not at all anyone that ever wants to do anything right. I know exactly what you are. This person is projecting a lot of things onto Musa right now. Like it's one thing to say that you killed someone yesterday. Fine, he's being called out for that. That's one thing. That's actually true. It's, he's using it in a bad way, but that's technically true. But look at the next things that he says to him. It's as if he's telling Musa who he is. I know exactly who you are. You're not a good person at all. I know exactly what you're here to do. And a lot of the time we'll find this is that people will use us in these situations and people will even prejudge us because of things that we did and use it to tell us what our hearts are telling ourselves. You know, like they will tell us what we intend to do and they will use it to tell us what's in our heart. This is really difficult. So far, we have kind of two sources of this, by the way, two sources of information from these really hard situations. We have ourselves and we have other people. And ourselves, we simply, sometimes we cannot trust in, our, in situations like this. Sometimes we go too hard on ourselves. Sometimes we go too easy. And the latter part, people, people sometimes will simply not forgive the things that you've done. 
and they'll even use it against you. And I actually want to call this out, by the way, the difference between people who call you out because they love you and people who call you out because they're ghawi, because they want to use you. So far, the signs of people that want to use you for a situation are that they will call you out publicly, they will assume your intent, and they'll do so with confidence. If you see a mix of these three things, you need to be wary of that person. And sometimes I would say you need to disconnect that person from your life. It's hard enough as it is to do the first part where like, I need to trust Allah over myself. I need to trust that Allah is going to forgive me even if I don't forgive myself. I need to do kufr of myself, put myself to the side and do iman in Allah. It's even more difficult when people hit you on the head with things that you've done wrong. And even worse so when those same people tell you the person that, you, that they think you are and they insist on it and get everyone else to believe it with them. That's when it becomes extremely difficult. Like, well, I'll give you an example. My friend, I, my best friend um, is, he's actually a non-Muslim and I love him very much. He has helped me through a lot of stuff in life, Allah. And I called him the other day and there's been something that, you know, been dealing with in my life for like years. It's very, very difficult. And I won't tell you what that thing is, but I assure you, if I told you what that thing is, you'd be like, oh, that's sad. And you make that, right? I called my friend up and I'm expecting the same thing. He's my best friend. You know, I love him. He loves me. We're really close. We're really stupid close. Alhamdulillah. Anyway, I call him and you know how like, you know, we all want good friends. And the Prophet Sallallahu said that a good friend is a mirror to you. Yes. Meaning a mirror does not dis- discriminate. Like if you have something in your teeth, they're like, hey, what's that thing on your neck? Why do you look so tired? That's what a, mi- a mirror is mean. A mirror will just tell you what you are. It won't sugarcoat anything. It's not a filter. The difference between mirrors and Snapchat filters, yes? A good friend is a mirror. It'll tell you exactly what it sees. So I called my friend and told him like, dude, this thing's messing with me and it's been years and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to think about myself. And wallahi, he basically, I won't verbatim say what he said, but he basically was like, what's wrong with you? I thought you believed in God. I was like on the phone like, okay, you know? And wallahi, he was, it's actually the best reaction I could have got from a friend. It really actually snapped me up. And it actually took me out of like victimizing myself and feeling down over something I have no control over, wallahi, zero control over. And he turned it into like, you know what? I just got to deal with this. I have to pick myself up and just deal with this. That's a, that you can argue, see that's a, the problem is sometimes they look the same. Like this Rawi guy is calling out Musa the same way my friend called me out. Big time. You mean that did not feel good. It was not a fun conversation. That was like a, I have to rewire the way that I think. The difference though, between people that care about you and people that do not is highlighted here. A Rawi wants to take advantage of you. People that don't necessarily care for your well-being and are probably using you for other reasons. Again, there are three signs you should pay attention to. Number one, they're doing, they're calling you out publicly. That's not in and of itself a bad thing. Sometimes you need that actually. So I want to be very clear with that. Sometimes you need to be called out publicly. That is the case sometimes. Don't immediately think they're wrong because it's public. That's not always the case. But number one, it's public. Number two, they're extremely confident. And number three, they are assuming what you're, what's in your heart. That third part is key. This person is telling Musa, I know who you are. And he's so off. I mean, we know from the story, he's so off. That is obviously not the case. And when you find you can't even reason with people that try to tell you who you are, that is a sign that you need to maybe detach yourself a little bit from that person. And this becomes extremely difficult, especially when it comes to like family members, parents that do this for you too. And I'm not saying that ever cut ties from family, but sometimes there is some form of like little detachment you should do from someone, even someone that you love in order to protect yourself. Because to be hit over the head over someone telling you what to do. At that point, they're not a mirror, they're a Snapchat filter, yes? You're no longer telling me something real. You're telling me something you're projecting onto me. At that point, you need to be extremely careful, like how do I rewire this relationship? Maybe you don't cut ties right away, but you have to consider like, do I need this negativity in my life? Anyway, let's talk about some immediate reactions. We'll take a little break and then we'll finish it up, inshallah. So Musa salam runs away from the city and um, I won't give you all the details. He runs away from the city. He runs into the desert. He finds a town called Median. 
It's this little Arab city and he's homeless now. The first thing that he did, by the way, was actually he helped two young women, which is again, calling back to the beginning. Sometimes when we commit our sins like this, we have these crazy situations. I want you to keep in mind what Musa has against him right now. He has the fact that he indeed did kill somebody and he has to live with, he has to simply live with that. That's, Allah's not gonna take that away from him. He has to live with that. Secondly, he has his own people abandoning him. He has someone who called him out publicly in a way that was simply not true. It was not the whole picture. And the amount of doubt that gets put in a man's head and a person's head, when those things come so quickly in their life can completely shatter a person. This is like Iman ending stuff sometimes, yes? And yet look at the, one of the first things he does when he gets an opportunity, he helps two young women feed their sheep. If I was in that situation, I would have been like, dude, I'm done. I'm just gonna live by myself. I don't wanna help anybody. Who am I to help anybody? I'm hopeless. I, I'm not gonna do good for anyone ever again. Musa has the full right here to be like, I'm a murderer. Allah hates me because of this. Like I'm homeless now because Allah hates me. And that's not the attitude that he has. He even takes opportunity, whatever opportunity Allah gave him, he used it. And a lot of time we walk around in our lives with this kind of mentality. Allah must hate me because of look at how I lived my life before. And that is not at all how we're supposed to react. No one has more of a right than him because he, here's the thing that we do sometimes. We take our external situation and use it as evidence to how Allah feels about us. So when things are good, we're like, oh, Allah must love me. And then when things are terrible, and maybe they're terrible because of you, by the way, like this is terrible because of himself. At the end of the day, it's his fault. It is his fault. Yeah. As complicated as it is, it is his fault at the end of the day. And sometimes we're in terrible situations and it's our fault. And even if that's the case, that is no indicator of how Allah feels about you. Those are not the same thing. Musa is homeless. He's away from home. He was a prince yesterday. <laughs> yesterday he was a prince. And now he's got no home, no job. He's all alone. His people now he's wanted for murder. There's a kill order on him. And if anyone can claim Allah hates me, it's him in that scenario. And that's not the, situ- that's not the, the mentality he has about it, salam. right? Again, going back to like us losing hope when we become lesser versions of ourselves. I wanna give you maybe like two minutes a break, stand up and stretch a little bit. And then I wanna finish up like just 10 more minutes and we'll be done inshallah. This next part is actually the point of all of this is uh, confronting this 10 years later. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that in just like two minutes. So get up and stretch a little bit, take a little bit of a break. Talk to people next to you and we'll reconvene soon. I want to actually fast forward in the story. I want to pick, pick up um, 10 years later in the story and pick up a certain moment that I find very beautiful. Because this situation with the murder actually gets, gets brought up again and again in Musa A.S.M.'s life, right? And I want you to, by the way, really kind of, let's put it in our own shoes uh, or try to empathize with this a little bit. Musa A.S.M. for the next 10 years, eight to 10, mostly argue 10 years at A.S.M., gets married in that city I told you he went to. He gets a job. He has a family support system. And he's just a shepherd, just a low key life for 10 years. So normal life, gaining like experience with family, experience with work for about 10 years at ASNM, okay? I do, I'm gonna argue this in a little bit. There's proof to kind of indicate that Musa Sam has been thinking about this for probably that entire time. And I even, it's not far-fetched. When we do things like this, or we find ourselves in situations like this, and I want to remind you, the situation is very complicated. It's not just about the murder. It's about how people reacted to him. It's about people assumed about him. It's about him being called out like that. It's about him being kicked out from where he, was, uh, from where he uh, lived. It's about like, you know, the, the guards used that as a political opportunity to try to kill him even. We didn't even talk about that. It's a very, I mean, that one of those things can mess with us forever all of them together, and you've got a very turmoiled mind. Yeah? The fact that he did this and he had to move on at A.S.M. It's very, it's troubling. But 10 years later, Musa A.S.M. picks up his family, moves away from Median, and I'll fast forward a little bit. He goes and we know that he ends up in the mountain and that's where Allah reveals himself to him, yes? And he sends revelation to Musa A.S.M. and gives him a mission. And I one, one day want to actually talk about this conversation in its entirety because it's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful, most personal, 
conversations a man has with Allah and Quran. It's beautiful. There's so many lessons to take from it. But I want to talk about one lesson that's, that's pertinent to the murder, pertinent to the killing that happened. And he goes up on the mountain. And there are, by the way, I, I actually I took it upon myself to kind of read because sometimes these same parts of the story are relayed in different parts of Quran. And most of the time, when Musa is given the mission, what's his mission? To go to Pharaoh and talk to Pharaoh. That's generally, that's the mission. Go to Pharaoh, demand that he releases the slaves. That's the mission of Musa in a nutshell, yes? Most of the time, there's a lot of anxiety in the way that he speaks. He talks a lot. Like for example, in Taha, we're going to be talking about Taha right now. He starts with like how I started my speech, Rabbi Shahli Sadri wa Yasili Amri. Right? You probably heard this multiple times. You know what Rabbi Shahli Sadri means? Like he's given the order and his reaction was Rabbi Shahli Sadri. Ishrah uh, Sadri means expand my chest. And a part of that meaning is about understanding, but another part of that meaning is actually about like when you feel a lot of anxiety and you know, like your chest feels closed. Like I'm not gonna lie, like before this, I feel nervous. So my chest feels a little bit closed. So I say, Rabbi Shahli Sadri, expand my chest, make it easy for me to breathe. So there's anxiety here. And actually, sometimes he actually gives a list of why he feels nervous. He does this in Taha and I believe in Shu'ara as well, not Taha, in Shu'ara and forgive me, I forget the other one, or Qasas actually. He gives a list of reasons why he feels nervous. And guess what always comes up on that list? The murder. I killed a man and I'm afraid that they're gonna do so back in kind. So this murder, this really messy situation of his has become a form of anxiety of why he's doubtful of himself. Does that make sense? Like Allah, Allah God himself gave him a mission. This is, really think about this. When Allah himself talks to you, there should be no doubt in what he's saying. He's talking to you, my guy. He's talking to you, right? But even then there's such a deep personal doubt and not in Allah, but in who? In himself. How do I reconcile this? And in Taha, he doesn't necessarily bring up the murder, but he just says, Rabbi Shahli Sadri wa Yasili Amri. He's the only prophet that when he's given a mission, he's like, can, I, can my brother come? <laughs> I mean, really, the, like there's, there's nervousness in this, yes? There's a little bit of like anxiety, nervousness, there's shyness almost in Musa Yassam's language when he's given the mission. And I love Taha because it's so beautiful and personal. Allah actually calms down this nervousness in Taha for like half a page. He calms it down. It's like when you go shh to a baby, it's like Allah doing that to Musa Sam's heart. Like, shh, I got you, yes? And the way he responds to, to Musa Sam's anxiety and Taha is he gives him a list of favors. And not like a list of favors, like sometimes like our family members do, like, didn't I do this for you? You should do this for me back. It's not like that attitude. It's the attitude of like, my guy, I've always had you. Don't remember when I did this? Like sometimes you have to even like you're, you know, with my wife even sometimes, like she'll be doubtful and be like, but like, you know me, like I love you. I'll, you know, I've always been taking care of you, whatever. And that kind of helps to smooth the relationship a little bit, yeah? You remind someone that you love of things you've done for them. So they know like, I've always got you. Why are you doubtful now? This has always been the case. And I don't want to read the ayat necessarily. I want to read one ayah, one part of the ayah. But I want to give you the list of things that Allah told Musa as evidence as to why he should just trust Allah and go to the mission. Does that make sense what I'm doing right now? I wanna give you that list. Part of this list is, we inspire to your mom what was inspired. Meaning there was a moment where Allah gave uh, his mother, uh, uh, Musa's mother, inspiration to protect him from being killed by the Egyptians when he was an infant. We gave her inspiration. We told, we told her to feed you. She threw you in, we throw, gave her inspiration to throw you in the river. And that river carried you along the, uh, along the path and brought you to safety. And I even had your sister follow you along that river and she protected you to make sure nothing bad would happen to you that you didn't end up in the wrong hands. And then you landed at the doorsteps of someone that was gonna take care of you for the rest of your life. And then I even reunited you with your mother through your sister. So, so far it's like, Look at how precisely I've taken care of you. And I want to stop right here. You always need to remind yourself how precisely Allah has taken care of you. Especially those of like immigrant parents, you need to really count your blessings, Wallahi. Like the things that our parents had to go through to bring us where we are today, especially in America today. You have to really reflect on like, all, not just what my father, what my mother did, may Allah reward them, of course, and all, all of our mothers and fathers, but like, look what Allah did for you. 
you had nothing to do with that stuff. Musa had nothing to do with him, his mother doing something and his sister doing something when he was an infant. He didn't do anything. He was just crying and pooping his pants. That's all he was doing. And Allah was taking care of him the whole time. So he's giving him this list and he's reminding him, look how it took care of you. And the list goes on and he says, and you killed someone. And we saved you from depression and we tested you. And then you lived your life in Median, and now here you are. So remember in Sesame Street, remember Sesame Street? Remember that game where they're like, they'll show you like a banana and an apple and like a tree and they'll be like, one of these things just doesn't belong here. Remember that game? You like the tree. Remember that game? What doesn't belong in this list? And a list of favors that Allah gave Musa, what doesn't belong on that? It sticks out like a sore thumb. The murder. You told me things you did for my mother. You told me things you did for me. You told me how you guided my sister. You told me how me as a slave race was raised in a palace. And amongst the favors you gave me, you listed what? The murder. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. It's as if Allah is like re-engineering a traumatic incident in his life to show him this is actually why I picked you. And I actually wanna go over this a little bit. Uh, the, that part in that list where Allah says, and you murdered someone, I wanna talk about those words a little bit more in detail with you before we end, okay? You killed someone and we slowly saved you from gham. Ram in Arabic uh, is like, you know, like ramam is like clouds. A ram is a very, very big black rain cloud that is not yet raining. It's like a thunder cloud. Like, you know, like when you see like a cloud, like we're in for rain, that's a ram. And like when it goes over the city, everything's under shadow. To be in perpetual and to be and to feel in perpetual darkness is ram. Like it's, it's been following you around Musa your whole life. By the way, I love the language is so beautiful. Najja versus Anjainaka. Anjainaka, we saved you from depression, meaning we saved you from depression. Najjainaka means it was a process. It took a while, but we saved you from Al-Gham. Meaning this thing took a while for you to get over it, to move on from it. Meaning the killing. And gham, by the way, it's both kind of an, a meaning of depression and anxiety in a way, because the depression is the darkness that you're in that doesn't go away. And the anxiety is it's a rain cloud that isn't what? Raining. Meaning at any moment, something bad's going to happen. I don't know when, but I feel it. I can see it. I just don't know when it's going to happen. Like he constantly feels on his toes, like, am I going to get got for this? He adds, again, in relation to the murder, and we tested you. And actually one of the first uh, definitions you'll see, I checked this last night to be sure. One of the first definitions you'll see with the word fatana or fitna is actually to burn and not to test. Fitna is like the process of burning. Fatanaka futunan and we burned you. Now, what does that mean? Fitna is a process of like, you know, like when you, you, we measure golden, we measure golden carrots, right? That's like the measurement we use for, for gold. Carrots is a measurement of purity. So the higher the carat value, the higher pure the gold is. Meaning that sometimes you take gold out of the earth and it's not 100% gold. Maybe there's like copper in there or, or something else in there, silver in there, right? And what do you do to get that out to make the gold more pure? You stick it in a furnace and you burn it at extreme temperatures for long periods of time. And slowly you'll see what? Those lesser metals will burn away and what will always remain? Gold. The, the reason chemically why gold is more valuable is because it can withstand more heat. It's more durable. Does that make sense? So fitna, when Allah gives you like a test, you gives you like a fitna in your life. It's as if he's burning impurities away from you. It's no secret that we're seeing here that this, even this moment of him killing that man was a building block that he needed to do the mission that Allah gave him. Sometimes we find that a part of ourselves has to die even for us to truly actualize and become and do things that we were meant to do in our life. Like I, when I was talking, I, was, I actually gave this lecture to my best friend and I'm like, what do you think of this? And he's like, yeah, man, it's like when a, when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it necessarily loses qualities of a caterpillar. Much like Musa necessarily sheds, he lost something in the scenario. And much like you and I lose something of ourselves even 
that needed to be lost. We had to be rewired by these extreme situations. The trick though is that we're learning from this story is that we need to learn to just stay floating in water, to not let ourselves drown, to remain hopeful in Allah and trust him over even ourselves. I'll end with uh, the last couple of things Allah says to him. He says to him, um, and you came right on time. Every single thing that happened to you in your life was curated and now you're here exactly as I needed you, as I wanted you. Now I needed you as I wanted you. And I love this part. He continues, And I manufactured you, especially for myself. Is to like manufacture something with extreme detail. You ever watched Toy Story 2? Remember Toy Story 2? Toy Story 2, if you never watched it, like Woody was ripped, if you remember. And then that old guy with the crazy goggles that like magnified a hundred times, he put him on the, um, like on this like little whatever shelf thing. And he got out like a thread and needle and he put more cotton in his arm to give him more muscle. And he, you know, like sewed everything up and he got something and like cleaned the eyeball and got paint and wiped under his shoe to make it more. And he actually came out better than he was before. Istana is to manufacture something with extremely delicate proportions. It's Allah telling Musa even though you hate this thing, this was a part of the process of istinat to, to, to really, really manufacture you for this. And if we pay close enough attention and we will, not, we will never understand it right away. Like if I can call something out, that Rawi guy who said nasty things about him in public, yes? Disgusting things. You are not a Muslim and you want nothing except for it to be a bully. Those are terrible things to hear, yes? Those are hard things to like, can you imagine that echoes in your life for 10 years? You're not a Muslim, you're not a Muslim, you're not a Muslim. Can you imagine? You'd go crazy. You'd go crazy. But guess who's harder to talk to? Fir'aun. It was as if that dude who made the situation a hundred times worse than even killing the man, that dude, the things that he said was like a dry run for Fir'aun. You know what Fir'aun calls Musa? Fir'aun calls Musa a kafir. The audacity to use that word on him, you, that word, him. Kafir. Could Musa have survived that conversation without going through that first scenario? Probably not. The problem is, could he ever have imagined, oh, he's calling me this, but I'm going to talk to Fidon someday? No. Sometimes we're put in these really crappy, terrible, dark scenarios that we probably made for ourselves. Wallahi. We did it to, our, to ourselves and it got it just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. You know, it started with something that was our fault, but became something so complicated because other people got involved or whatever, whatever may, might've happened. But in these scenarios, it's very difficult to be like, Allah is building me for something. Allah is burning me. All the impurities, the old shadis getting burned away. There's something I need from this. That is really hard to do because you will never know what that thing is until it happens. 10 years. And then he found out what the, what the mission was. Yes. 10 years. What keeps you afloat? There were three parties involved in the killing. There was, uh, in terms of the blame, Musa blaming himself, the man blaming him, the Rawi, and Allah. If you depend on the first two in any capacity, you will most more than likely lose your Iman. You'll lose your faith altogether. You are not fair to yourself. Other people will not be fair to you. You need to anchor yourself to Allah. When we call Allah Rabb, that means that we depend on him for all truth. Musa salam learned from there, or we're learning actually from this story, that your value does not come from yourself. Your value does not come from other people. In fact, you and other people will completely get your value wrong. You'll either be too low or too high. But Allah's value for you is constant, even when you mess up, and is the most reliable thing to anchor yourself to.